Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Switching to Shopify helps you sell smarter at every stage of your business. Take full control of your brand with your own custom online store. Wow, looks amazing. Find more customers with our easy-to-use marketing tools. Piece of cake. And let the best converting checkout on the planet do its thing. Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Switch to Shopify today for a $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good Friday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We've got Bernie sitting in taking your calls today because John Paul is on a well-deserved long weekend away. We hope he enjoys himself. Uh, so if there's anything you want to share with us, give Bernie a call 0818-103-103. You can always email the programme as well, corktoday at c103.ie. And I can already see texts and WhatsApps uh, coming in um, at 86 103103. And actually, let me start with a question that has come in on WhatsApp from a listener who wants to know, did I find out what was the final day attendance at the Ploughing Championship? Because this was a listener who was wondering about the fact that they were asking people to pre-book their tickets, to go online to book their tickets. Um, and some of our listeners felt that that was going to affect the attendance at the ploughing. Now we do know on day one of the ploughing championships the numbers were down but that was very much to do with the uh, opening day, the weather on the opening day and it had been forecast that that was going to be the worst of the uh, three days but the final day yesterday had uh, very much dry Uh, conditions prevailed for much of the day. Weather-wise, it certainly was the best of the three days and at times there was glorious sunshine in Rathaniska. But it actually had the lowest numbers uh, attending. And I think traditionally that always happens at the ploughing. The third day uh, is always the day that is the least busiest. It's the middle day is always the busiest one. So it was the same this year. So yesterday, the final attendance for yesterday was 62,500. So the combined attendance over the three days was over 20,000, 20,550. Now, if you compare that to last year, that is way down. It's, I think, 77,000 down on last year. But many people were saying that last year had record-breaking numbers attending, particularly on the middle day when it went to 115,000. And ideally, from a health and safety point of view, they say 100,000. Uh, really, it's at some round the figure they should have. That's why they were prompting and asking people to buy their tickets uh, online uh, this year. So last year, though, was the first year since COVID, so they knew that they were, were going to get a, a bumper year. Now, the organisers, um, Anna Mae McHugh, hasn't uh, come 
out and said whether they're disappointed with those numbers or not. And I'd have to do a really deep dive to see how those figures compare, compare say, with pre-COVID uh, times, because as I say, last year's figures were slightly skewed because there had been cancellation for a couple of years and then the ploughing was back. Uh, so it's hard to benchmark anything against last year's uh, figures, but it went over the 200,000 uh, mark and certainly people that were there yesterday got the best of the weather. And just one other, just one quick final one from the ploughing, because I did promise that I would uh, find out who was voted Ireland's favourite saint. It was a vote that was being held at the National Ploughing Championships over the last three days. And drum roll, please, I can tell you the saint that I mentioned that if I was going to the ploughing, I would have voted for good old St Anthony came out on uh, top they announced the top six. See me, what they did was over the first two days, anyone who was coming in to the ploughing, they asked them, they had just a little posties and they asked them just to write down the name of the saint, put it into a box and then they gathered them all, all up and then they took a look and then they went and they got their top six uh, from that. So St. Anthony came out on top. Second place, St. Bridget. St. Patrick was in third place. So St. Bridget bet St. Patrick. Uh, in fourth place was St. Martin. St. Teresa of Lezou was in fifth place and Padre Pio who I expected was going to do well was in uh, sixth place and Father David Vard who was one of the priests organising that vote for Ireland's favourite uh, saint says it came as no surprise to him to hear that uh, St Anthony would win because he said you constantly hear people saying that they said a prayer to St Anthony whenever they lose something so he came in by a landslide as Ireland's favourite saint so well done uh, to St Anthony 0818 103103 uh, Bernie taking your calls. Now the government is discussing proposals to repeat most if not all of the one-off social welfare payments that were made in the run-up to last Christmas. It looks like they could be doing similar again this year. One-off lump sum payments <clears throat> to social welfare recipients including people with disabilities, those in receipt of fuel allowance and carers all likely to be announced. And this, of course, will all be part of next month's uh, budget. Now, the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, along with the Michal Martin, and of course, we've got the Green Party leader. We have three making up the coalition, Eamon Ryan. They'll all now meet with the, the main finance, the money boys, the finance ministers, Michael McGrath and Pascal Donoghue. It's expected they'll sit down early next week. That will be the first dedicated meeting for Budget 2024, which will be announced in October. Now, bilateral meetings between those two ministers and the rest of uh, the Cabinet, they also will begin in the second half of next week. Obviously, all of the different Cabinet ministers, all of the different departments have written in outlining that what they would like to see out of the budget. So next week is really going to be the week when they will, I, I take it, dot all the I's and cross all the T's. Now, if you think back to last year, it very much was a bumper budget we had a cost of living crisis. People will say we have the very same cost of living crisis this year. But in order to tackle the cost of living crisis uh, last year, they did, you know, one off things like a one off doubling of the monthly child benefit. There was a payment of 200 euro to people who were living alone. There was an increase of, I think, of about 400 euro in, uh, to people who were getting fuel allowance. And then they paid out lump sums of 500 euro. They were paid out to people who were receiving the working family payment. They gave it to people who are on disability allowance. 
they also gave it out in the carers uh, grant. Now for the electricity credit and everyone is seeing high electricity bills and wondering what's going to happen with the electricity credit. Sources within the government are saying at least one 200 euro electricity credit is expected in the budget. One source quoted in the paper is saying today that the government would look stingy if they didn't give at least two 200 euro credits. So we're going to have to wait for the budget for those to be announced. But they are very much saying that the priority is going to be on social welfare payments. It's not clear yet if the amounts of the one-off lump sum payments will be as high as the ones uh, for last year. I mean, certainly on the energy credits, I mean, everyone is saying it's unlikely that householders will get the €600 because last year they gave three €200 energy credits. So in total, €600 came off our electricity bills. They're saying it's unlikely that they'll go down that route because the emphasis does seem to be on those living on social welfare, whereas the energy credits, the electricity credits went to every single household uh, regardless of how much income was coming in uh, to the house. And also let's bear in mind that the Taoiseach and the Finance Minister Michael McGrath they've already indicated that the cost of living package is going to be smaller than what it was last year so that we're definitely not going to get exactly the same, similar but not exactly the same. But ministers have repeatedly indicated that the final budget package will include increases in core weekly payments. Pensioners definitely are going to get an increase as are other social welfare recipients and the Social Protection Minister Heather Humphreys obviously it's under her department and she's the one fighting the hardest for people on social welfare she said that the groups she is focused on for the budget are the ones in need of support and she's been citing the pensioners the people who are living on a disability payment she's spoken about carers but she's also spoken about working families these are people on low incomes who are also getting a payment but they go out to work every day but they're not earning enough to support their families she said the once off double payment of the child benefit she said that was very well received last year and of course the reason it was so well received was everybody everyone with children benefit from that particular one. It was a little bit like with the electricity one. That went out well because everybody benefited. The minister is uh, pushing for the €140 euro payment. That's the child benefit. She's also, I've heard her speak about this in recent weeks, she's pushing for that to be paid to, I suppose you'd have to call them young adults uh, once they hit the age of 18. And these are students in Leaving Cert who go into their Leaving Cert year. Many of them are 17. Some of them are actually 18 when they go back to school in September. But the rules at the moment state that your child benefit ends when your son or daughter hits 18, even if they're still in secondary school. And they could, as I say, it's very possible that somebody hits the age of 18 at the start of September so they'd have the whole school year without that family receiving the child benefit. So certainly the Social Protection Minister, Heather Humphreys, she's intimated that she's really, really pushing the uh, Finance Minister, uh, Michael McGrath, to look at that and look at extending that. So if you have a son or daughter who's still in school, but they have hit the age of 18, that they will get their their child benefit right up to I suppose June when they sit their leaving cert will possibly be the last payment so we'll see will that get announced in the budget next year and she's also looking for the hot school meals programme she wants that to be uh, further extended so with them all sitting down next week and then with the two finance ministers meeting with all of the different departments. I take it we'll see hear more kite flying and more things will start to be uh, leaked out. There's been very few budgets 
probably in the last 10 years where anything gets announced that we didn't know about. We seem to know everything about it well in advance. 0818 103 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Uh, somebody has been on by text and actually there was a couple in yesterday as well and I just didn't get around to it uh, wondering when is the fuel allowance, the lump sum payment for the fuel allowance, you know the way some people opt to get the fuel allowance in two lump sum payments rather than getting it weekly, when is it going to be paid? Uh, I'm told that the first lump sum of 462 euro will be paid the last week of September so I'm assuming next week you'll receive it either, um, it's either paid into your bank or do you pick it up at the post office or I don't know how you actually, uh, how this particular listener has contacted us, how, how it's uh, paid, but it's the last week of September. So I'm assuming it is next week. And the second fuel allowance lump sum uh, is on, will be paid early in January. So it's the last week in September and then early in uh, January. 0818 103 103. Some of your uh, texts coming in to uh, us. I'll get to those ones in a minute. Let me just look at, uh, we were talking about the saints. There was a couple in about saints. A lot of people had here that it was... um, St. Anthony at that one. But one listener says about the saints, I do depend on St. Anthony at times and I can tell you there's been a few miracles in terms of his intervention in finding lost items. But that said, my favourite saint is St. Jude, who is my daily go-to saint. So I was disappointed that he didn't feature, wasn't even mentioned in the top six saints that was announced. And nonetheless, I'll stick with St. Jude anyway. And those who don't know about him don't know what they're missing. I'm open to correction, but is St. Jude not the saint for hope? cases. I could be open to correction on that. But anyway, this sister is sticking with, uh, very much sticking with uh, St. Jude. And somebody is asking uh, with the the ploughing, the fact that it went up in price to €30 if you're paying at the gate, €25 if you're paying online. And the fact that they got people to go online, did that affect the overall uh, turnout? I don't know. As I say, I'd need to look back on previous years. We can't really compare it to last year. And I haven't heard the organisers say they're disappointed that just over 200,000 attended. So uh, no doubt they'll do a dig, a deep dive and look at the attendance uh, in making decisions for next year. I spoke about the budget. John in Clannacilty says, Patricia, this year will be a bumper budget. Why? Because we've got European elections next year. But wait until next year. We'll have a bumper, bumper, bumper budget. Why? Because the general election the year after all these three parties know they are in trouble in the opinion polls. will have giveaway budgets to try to buy votes. That's from John in uh, Clannacilty. And hi Patricia, with regards to what's already been leaked out and what's expected in October's budget, it is doing nothing again for the working people who are supposed to be the ones subsidising the budget because it's the working people who pay their taxes every week. That's the money that they use to subsidise the budget. No tax cuts, no fuel cuts and grocery inflation on the rise. It seems very unfair on working families. 0818103103. Bernie's taking your calls. And Andy, Andy from Kilbrin Ploughing Association was on and wants to congratulate the Queen of the Ploughing, Orla Hay. I actually mentioned Orly yesterday, somebody who texted us actually from Rathaniski. Uh, she was, she's part of the Kilbrin Ploughing.
Farming uh, Group and uh, she won. It was the Farmerette category, even though Andy is calling it Queen of the Plough. Well done to uh, Orla Hayes. Text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. Now, seven families whose children have been left stranded after failing to secure a seat on the school bus have criticised the assessment and the lottery system as cruel and unfair. To discuss the problems facing the families of the children attending Rath Cormac National School, I'm joined by one of the parents, and that's uh, Evelyn uh, Murphy. Good morning to you, Evelyn. Good morning, how are you? Uh, uh, I'm very well and, and thank you for taking our, our call. Now in your case, it's all three of your children who failed to get a seat on the bus. Did some of your children get seats in previous years? Um, they did, yes. Um, so I have three boys. My eldest boy is in fourth class. My second boy is in third class and my third boy is in junior infant. And my eldest two boys have been getting the school bus since they were in junior infant. Um, they've been using it every single day um, to and from school um, for the past years. And um, we were informed in July, um, 11 children actually in total were informed that they would no longer be receiving bus tickets, that there was no spaces left on the bus. And you had applied as you need to do in the correct time and all of that. You were expecting that all three boys would be hopping on the bus and heading off together. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose like my my third boy, my last boy, starting school, junior infant, there was fierce excitement <laughs> in the house um, because like their youngest brother was going to be starting on, to go on the bus with them. So they're all talking about the bus and how it would work and for them. And as well, like you know, it passes our house every single day. So we see the bus. You know, he used to see the bus with his older brothers going on the bus. Um, yeah, we are. Um, we applied as we normally do every year. Um, you know, you, it just rolls from one year to the next year for the eldest two. The only um, new thing that you have to do is just apply in April for um, a junior infant child starting in the school. Um, and yeah, there was no delays, no, you know, I had payment paid and everything all done and dusted and just received an email at nine o'clock in the night, um, late July, informing me that um, the bus was full and we would no longer be able to use the, uh, the bus. And as I say, like, this has been a huge impact on us as the families and all the families that are, you know, it's been, you know, so stressful. Yeah, so, I hear. And just, just in your own case, just to explain, Evelyn, how is it affecting your family's life on a day-to-day basis? Well, I suppose, like, for generations, you know, um, our family have used, like, for over 48 years. And it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a lifeline for us living, living, like, we live, like, six miles just over six miles from the school and it's a lifeline for us because like um, I have now three runs to do nine o'clock, two o'clock and three o'clock. So I'm on the road for like pretty much three hours because it takes that long to get down by the time that, you know, as I say, we're in rural Ireland and, you know, um, traffic and that wise. So I'm doing 36 miles a day now and I was hoping to go back to college like um, I'm a farmer and a stay-at-home mum and I suppose I spent many years like staying at home which I'm very privileged to have been able to do, but I wanted to go back to college. I wanted to go to, you know, start doing a counselling course and I've had to put all of that on hold. And, you know, it's just been so upsetting for our family, um, such a negative impact on the children, um, you know, to see their family, you know, neighbours, friends, 
you know, getting tickets and we were... And you're not, just, yes. Yeah, and hard, not to hard to, ex- to children. Hard to explain that to, to the small little fella. The, the oh, absolutely. Like, to see his friends and his, you know, his first cousin getting on the bus and they all go on the bus and, you know, he knows, like, you know, he knows they're all going on the bus and he, like, sees the bus passing our house so it doesn't, like, to try and explain that to you know, a five-year-old boy that, like, has seen his brothers getting on the bus and now for him not to be able to get on the bus and all three of them not. And, and also, just, so, so something sounds very wrong with the amount of uh, driving now you have to do every day along with the other seven families uh, with the 11 children, you know, going and coming, going and coming from a government that has Greens in coalition telling us all to reduce our the use of our cars, and yet they're forcing you to do journeys that you really don't want to be doing. No, I don't. I absolutely do not want to do, you know, the journeys that I am doing. And absolutely, as you just say, like, you know, we are told and we are, you know, enforced on us on a daily basis in relation to the environment, climate change, you know, the impact that it has. And, like, how does it say, how does it, like, how can I understand, how can any person understand you know, common sense that a bus is passing my door, yet I cannot get on the bus, yet I'm expected then, consequently, then to travel 36 miles a day when, like, there is a bus. And, like, the department is using the term concessionary. Mm. You know, this is used, like, to exclude my children from a form of transport. And more importantly, to complete their education in their local parish national school. Like, this is Rathcormac School, like, that they, you know, that they have attended their whole lives, you know, of school education. And yet the bus is passing my door and I cannot put my children on. And as you say, like the, the, the impact... On the environment. Is, has, yeah, the, but yeah, the impact absolutely. on the... On the outside of the impact it's having on, on your family. And, and I'm assuming, Evelyn, that in your area there would have been a primary school probably back in the 40s or 50s, one of those schools that closed with the commitment to all of the local families then when they were amalgamating schools that your, your, the future children would always have a seat on a bus. Yes, there was a promise, yeah. Um, um, my children's great-grandmother actually was a teacher in that school. Um, and, you know, it closed due to the fact that, you know, those teachers were coming to a retirement age. And the department, there was, um, you know, a, a, a meeting with the residents of Kildinan area, which is huge ta- townland, you know, including Barkney and Rathcormack in our area. And the school was, you know, th- there was a promise by the Department of Education that there would be forever more transport transport to the local school because, you know, where we live, like, as I say, it's such a distance that, like, that was one of their, like, you know, main concerns in getting their children. Like, this is 48 years ago, getting their children to school was, you know, to get their education. But this is, the, like, the huge promise that was made by the Department of Education. And we have affidavits, like, from, like, you know, women, like, in their 80s, 90s, mothers, you know, as I, I spoke about generations, and we've had to, you know, you know, approach these women, you know, asking them, like, you know, what was promised? And they have, you know, sworn um, affidavits and, you know, letters stating the fact that they were present at this meeting and they were, like, promised that forevermore future there would generations be, would, would always have, have a seat on the bus. Yeah, because pa- yeah, we were in the parish of Rathcormac. We yeah, should, because, like, okay, we, on, on paper, there's probably, is there a closer school? This is why, the, you know, the, the Department of Education uses, like, this concessionary. There is, like, Glenville that, like, say, would be four miles. 
But Glenville is not our parish. This is, you know what I mean? Mm. Like there is no alternative. Like it's not like there's a bus passing our door that's for one for Glenville and one for Ras Cormac. Like there is no bus passing our our house for Glenville. You know, and actually, like, I only saw on the on the examiner today. There's numerous families in Upper Glenmire and in Glenville who have been affected, and they haven't got a seat on a bus. So it's it's that's not even an answer. There isn't. It wouldn't even probably be a seat no. available um, no. uh, for your boys. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and especially as I said, there's no bus pass in the door. You know, so why would we be expected then to like? So I would still have to drive. Mm. You know, like, why would, like, you know, that be used as a reason when there's a bus pass my door to go to our local parish, Rathcormac School, where I went to school, where my husband went to school, where all his family went to school. And as I say, like, this bus has been present in our family as a lifeline to get all of our children to school for generations, like 48 years, my, my husband's family has been using this bus. And I also, I, I always get annoyed when I hear that uh, families are told, oh, there's another school, there's a closer school. It's individual families decide where they want to send their children to school and they shouldn't be influenced and told, oh, well, you're at the wrong school because that's not the bus, uh, the bus route. You make those decisions for your own very personal reasons why you want to send your child to a particular school. It makes It makes no sense in the sense that, like, we have freedom of choice in the Constitution that we can, like, make our own choices for our family unit where best, like, that we can, like, our children are best suited to go to, and not even best suited, but, like, where where our neighbours are going, where our families are going, where, you know, that we have gone... And you that, you have say, a link to that area. You very yeah, much have, have a like link to that area. Like, we play like, my, my husband's family, my family, we are from, both from Rathcormac, we are GA, we are like, you know, steeped um, in, in the parish of Rathcormac, in Kildine and in Bartlemy. Um So it, why would we then be forced to go to another school when there is no bus transport available, where I still have to drive, where this is just, it just, the, 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 the system, the scheme just does not make any common sense. Okay, so the so the the main bus is full. You now have eleven children in in your area for that one school. Would yeah, it, yeah. and this might sound like the simplest of solutions. Put on a mini bus. Couldn't bus here and put on a mini bus. This is what we're fighting for. Like we have been notified this since July. Like every single one of the um, these families that are involved, seven families, eleven children. We have been every single day emailing phone calls, letters, you know, on, on a daily basis, like, you know, like it, it has like it has taken over our lives trying to get this, trying to fight for this and nobody is helping us. Like our local, like our our, our, our principal in the school, Margaret Howard, has been like outstanding in trying to help us, help us but her hands are tied. The local councillor, he's William O'Leary, has been so helpful the whole time trying to help us. But they've no power. They, we, we can't get to our minister, Norma Foley. Like, Norma Foley needs to release funds. Please release funds so we can operate a, a minibus. And, like, all our children then can, can go to school. Like, I had an appointment, a hospital appointment there last week. I had no way of getting my children to school. So they had to stay at home. 
Okay, all right. Listen, keep fighting the fight. It's it's a shame that you have to fight the fight, um, Evelyn. But listen, um, and keep us informed and keep us updated. But thanks a million for joining us on the programme today. And thank you so much for... um, for Our pleasure, our pleasure. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Evelyn Murphy, one of the parents, but there's seven families in total, 11 children. But as I say, I was reading just on the examiner, uh, John uh, Bowen has a piece uh, today on the front of the Echo, so not the examiner, talking about numerous families in Upper Glenmire and Glenville. Uh, they're also impacted because there is not enough seats on uh, the bus. It's just, it's, it's one of those issues that crops up every single year. Uh, but year on year, it seems to be getting worse with more and more children and more and more families affected by John and Cove. Uh, wants to know, are Irish children being put off the school buses to accommodate the foreign national uh, children? I, I don't, uh, it could be happening in some areas, but it's certainly, I don't think it's happening uh, in this particular area because demand for the school bus in the Rathgormick uh, area is to do with an increase in the local uh, population because there's been large housing developments and that's led to a surging surging numbers at the local national school and demand then for school bus places has grown as a uh, result. 0818103103 Bernie taking your calls. Court today on C103. Now next Monday is World Lung Day and to mark the day the Irish Thoracic Society is urging members of the public to show your lungs some love and to undertake actions that can safeguard your lung health. Joining me to discuss lung health is Professor Marcus Kennedy, who's consultant respiratory physician at Cork University Hospital and he's also president of the Irish Thoracic uh, Society. Good morning to you, Professor Kennedy. Good morning and thanks for taking the call. Well, you're, you're very welcome to the programme. I take it the number one thing on the list, Marcus, is either quit smoking or never take it up at all. Correct. Uh, smoking, as you know, causes too many deaths in Ireland and it causes preventable lung disease. Um, up to 400,000 people uh, have COPD or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which essentially is cough, shortness of breath and wheeze and recurrent pulmonary infections, the majority of which uh, is in smokers. So preventing people starting smoking, really aiming at the schools, um, at children, if you don't start smoking before 18, you're probably not going to start smoking. So a big target is there. But also, it's never too late to give up uh, smoking. Um, so I'm in a clinic right now in CUH as it happens, and lots of folks come in here are still smoking. So the main aim is to really try to get people to stop uh, with the use of nicotine replacement. Because if, and for those people who do give up smoking, or to anyone listening who was a former smoker who has since given up, can and do your lungs recover once you give up? Absolutely, they do. Now, so one, as you know, one of the risks from uh, uh, smoking is lung cancer. So your risk reduces to the same uh, as someone who never smoked at about 15 years. Well, uh, Sorry, go on, yeah. Yeah, that's really, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised at that. I think a lot of smokers will be surprised to hear because they think, actually, the damage is done, I might as well stay smoking. 
No, no. Uh, and more importantly, it's to stop things getting worse. So a lot of my patients that come in here are starting to get breathless. And if they stay smoking, they continue to get breathless at rest and even go on oxygen. But if they stop smoking, things won't get worse. And usually when you stop smoking, it's also associated with other changes in your lifestyle, which are the other uh, five ways to love your lungs, which include exercise, a good diet, uh, and taking vaccines. Uh, so uh, very much we recommend it's never too late. Things can get worse, but if you stop smoking, your lung function does not get worse. Okay, and you certainly will, in, will see an increase in your bank balance uh, as well, which is, which is a real positive. There's an increase though, Marcus, in people vaping. Are you worried about that, particularly young people? And we're hearing of young people who never smoked starting to vape. I mean, is the danger that they will go from the vapes to cigarettes? Absolutely. And I've, you know, three teenage daughters at the moment. And uh, unfortunately, yes, there's more students starting to vape now uh, than starting to smoke and very much getting addicted to nicotine. The concentration of nicotine in these devices often is higher than, than, than cigarettes. However, they don't contain the tobacco breakdown products. So, uh, yes, often it leads to smoking cigarettes. Lots of people smoke both. And we don't know, uh, we don't know whether the vaping or electronic cigarettes um, are safe and we don't know whether they're effective. So, the WHO hasn't recommended them yet for smoking cessation. Neither has the HSE. The UK NHS has recommended them as a potential product. However, with the caveat that the companies need to register and they need to show that their devices are safe and effective. So in my clinic here right now, I mean, if someone comes in and says, I switched to, to vaping from cigarettes, I'll say, OK, look, probably better. I don't know. But the, the initial evidence would suggest it's probably better than smoking. However, I want you to switch over to the safer nicotine replacement therapy, which you get through the chemist, which is the patch. Now, often people make the mistake of just starting the patch and using it only for a short period of time. But you should stay on the patch and a short-acting agent, such as there's a nicotine inhaler you get in the chemist, which is 100% safe, chewing gum sprays, lozenges, uh, and they're safe, and they'll double your odds of giving up cigarettes. Yeah, and I know that there's a big push to try to ban the single-use uh, uh, vapes. I mean, there's a whole environmental uh, issue going on uh, there. But particularly the flavours that do appear to be, you know, very much aimed at children. You know, strawberry flavour, raspberry flavour. I saw a bubblegum flavour uh, lately. Like They really do look like they're being pushed at kids. Absolutely. So the legislation that's been approved at the moment and that's gone through the Dáil and the Shannon is to ban the sale of any um, nicotine uh, product, inhaled nicotine product to kids under 18, including all electronic cigarettes and the disposable ones, and to, to ban advertising uh, near schools. However, there's a second uh, proposed uh, uh, bill, as you said, to completely ban the sale of the disposable products uh, to everybody in Ireland. And as you said, you know, they're, they're advertised like bubblegum, uh, the bright colours and mm. so on and so forth. And they're using all the colours that were used by cigarettes before. Uh, and Ireland was very proactive in uh, preventing uh, advertisements, uh, preventing smoke in the workplace, but also changing the packaging uh, to fair packaging or you know, those images that you know, really are frightening on the cigarette boxes. 
Yeah, okay. And just I, the EPA, I'm mean, sure we were only speaking about this yesterday, uh, estimate over 1,400 uh, people die premature deaths every year due to air pollution. Uh, do we all have a role to play when it comes to cleaner air quality, Marcus? Yeah, so when, you know, even when I hear the term air pollution, I think of the environment and yeah. smog and that sort of stuff. But a big component here is your indoor air pollution. So, uh, you know, we all think of, you know, mould in houses and damp houses for sure, but also the the fuel that we burn and, you know, uh, be it uh, turf, coal, uh, even gas. It's been shown that, you know, your gas stove is more likely to release the toxins into the air than, you know, your, you know, your electric uh, heating system. So really being aware of what's in the house, and I think folks are getting more away and modern houses are obviously becoming better and, less likely to have these. Then outdoor pollution, yes, we all have to be aware uh, of, you know, the, the toxins that are released outdoor and clearly the drive towards, you know, electric cars, EVs from, you know, typical petrol and diesel cars is going to help. It's been shown that in cities, people living along a bus route, for instance, are more likely to develop lung disease than those who don't because of the release of diesel fumes from, from buses. And that's why it's great tomorrow. There's a car-free day going on uh, in Cork. And I suppose the very final one then when we're, when we're talking about lung health, uh, Marcus, don't ignore uh, symptoms. I mean, I, I take it something like a persistent cough that you're literally just not shaking off. You know, get into your, your doctor and get it checked. Yeah, so I was the National League for Lung Cancer um, a few years ago. So yes, unfortunately people with those concerning symptoms don't present early enough and you know, lung cancer can get very big before people actually have symptoms. So any concern and symptoms, we have to look after our own health. As you said, a persistent cough for over three months, coughing of blood, weight loss, new chest pain, really going to your GP. And, the, you know, the National Cancer Control Program and the Rapid Access Clinics and the one we have in Cork, you know, is an excellent service. We see you within two weeks, get a CT scan and get you on the way. But unfortunately, lung cancer does present late, uh, thus eventually we may have screening for lung cancer down the way but yes you're right any concern and symptoms get into your GP for sure uh, and and get access uh, uh, to, to the, the healthcare system Cause it, Because it is the leading cause of cancer death isn't it in Ireland lung cancer? Yeah unfortunately you're right um, although it's not the leading cause of cancer which would be skin cancers you know but it's the leading cause of cancer death now both in males and females so females in Ireland started smoking a bit later, I guess, in the 60s. Now we're really seeing the, the burden of cancer in females as well. So absolutely, leading cause of cancer, unfortunately, now in both sexes. OK. Listen, uh, Marcus, I appreciate I know how busy you are. I appreciate you taking time out to talk to us. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Professor Marcus uh, Kennedy, uh, who is Consultant Respiratory Physician, CUH, and also President of the Irish Thoracic Society, ahead of World Lung Day, which is happening next Monday. Look after your lungs, folks. 0818103103. Bernie is uh, taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp us anything you want to share with us today, or if you want to, if you want to call Bernie, you can text or WhatsApp to 0862103103. 
1.3. Still getting in uh, commentary this morning on the protests that took place outside Leinster House in Dublin on uh, Wednesday. Just to give you a flavour of some of the calls coming in because it's still getting a lot of commentary in the papers again today. M says, Patricia, the term far right has been bandied about too much lately. People who hold, say, conservative views are indeed asked questions on immigration or transgender issues are not necessarily far right, but have regularly been shouted down by left activists. God help anyone who questions the number of refugees flowing into our country at the moment. I absolutely condemn the protests on Wednesday outside Leinster House, but all views have to be respected without being labelled extremists, um, signed M. And I I think you do make um, a valid point. I think the problem is that within the group of people who do hold conservative views and are asking questions about the number of uh, refugees and asylum seekers that are coming to our our country. Unfortunately, there is a very extreme right, far right element and they are the ones who seem to be the loudest and the noisiest and they are the ones, I think, who took control of the protests on um, Wednesday. I mean, there definitely were people that went along who just wanted to protest about what they felt was wrong in this country but then it got taken over and it got really vile and obscene some of the commentary some of the things that were being shouted and the pushing and shoving of politicians um, and you know the things that happened and that's I think uh, what and, and then what happens because of that is anyone who's got any kind of a different view is bandied as you say is bandied about and they're called the far right and they're not necessarily all the far right and I would agree with you on that but there certainly are an element who are pushing forward the agenda uh, about transgenderism and about uh, very negative in their views about refugees and asylum seekers and they certainly are part of the far right whether they care to admit it or not. And Michael in West Cork says uh, Patricia Wednesday's protest by the mob in our capital was shocking, disgusting and criminal. No other way to describe it. It was a replica of the January the 6th events in the United States of America. It was an attack on our democracy in our capital and our democratically elected members to Dáil Éireann from all parties including staff. This is what happened on Capitol Hill back in January in the, in January on January the 6th in the US of A. They could be classed as a replica of the Proud Boys. Why wasn't their extra guard drafted in immediately? They should have arrested all of them to protect both our Houses of Parliament and our government, our TDs and their staff and then hold them in custody to a special sitting of the court. Give them the latitude, giving them the latitude they got only encouraged them to create further disruption and mayhem. Again, the effigies and the hangman's noose was further threat to our democratic, democratically elected parliamentarians and staff and is from a reminder of the January 6th riots on Capitol Hill. In today's turbulent world, anything is possible, even in a normal, peaceful march which any reasonable person would not have a problem with. The undemocratic carry needs carry on needs to be nipped in the bud immediately for everybody's safety. Those who took part should be identified from photographs and from videos taken and they should be dealt with 
appropriately and that's from Michael in uh, West Cork and actually the erection of that mock gallows and I think that was the one that most people I mean I was gobsmacked uh, when, I, when I saw it. That actually is being investigated as a potential criminal offence. Now the gallows and I'm assuming everybody saw it certainly it was, there was lots of pictures of it in the papers yesterday and it was on social media it was covered with the images of some of our political figures including people like the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar. There was a picture of Leo there. There was a picture of the Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou MacDonald and then there was a figure in a suit with bundles of cash in the pocket and photos of the guard, the Commissioner Drew Harris, the Minister for Children, Roderick O'Gorman, all hanging from this uh, pretend uh, noose. Now it's understood the erection of the gallows is being treated as a potential criminal effect offence under various pieces of legislation, everything including incitement to hatred, public order laws and laws against threatening or intimidating behaviour. Simony Gardaí are confident they knew they know who set up and transported the gallows and the file is now being prepared, being prepared for the Director of Public Prosecutions and all of the main political parties are all uh, coming out saying, you know, that what was witnessed by some. And again, I'm, I'm at pains to point out there was probably some genuine protesters there, but uh, the ones, uh, what was witnessed and certainly what was shared on social uh, media, as, you know, Michal Martin said, it was fascist-like uh, behaviour. Uh, he said that the personal abuse directed at politicians and staff by protesters was absolutely vile. And we do know 13 people have been uh, arrested and are before, will be before the courts. And the, the Count Corla. I saw the Count Corla last night, John O'Farrell. He now is looking for a review of security arrangements at uh, Leinster House. You know, and there is talking about if you go to other. I mean, if you need only look across the water in the UK, if you ever see any of the pictures that come out from 10 Downing Street, you know, members of the public are allowed nowhere near the doors of uh, 10 Downing Street. And the one thing that we've always prided ourselves on, our people are able to protest at the gates of Leinster House and they are and have been in the past able to interact with our elected parliamentarians. It would be awful if we ended up at, and it has been spoken about, that there would be a a quadrant around Leinster House and no members of the public would be allowed anywhere near it. Now, I know a lot of members, a lot of politicians themselves wouldn't be in agreement with it, but it'll all depend on what comes out of this uh, review that Sean O'Farrell has a look for. Obviously, the Gardaí are going to get involved. The Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, you know, she'll be uh, involved and uh, we'll see what comes out uh, from it. But, you know, something has to be has to be done to protect the people that work in Leinster House because Sean O'Farrell was uh, pointing out there's 1,200 people work in Leinster House every day of which only 220 of them are politicians. The rest are made up of uh, staff and those people, he said, suffered uh, abuse, uh, vile abuse yesterday, civil service, political staff, political advisors, journalists, the whole spectrum. And he said it was vile and it was vicious and something needs to be done about it. 0818 and then reaction to Evelyn, who joined us at the stop of the programme. Evelyn Murphy talking about her three children not getting seats on the bus. And there are 11 children in total whose parents now coming from seven different families have to drive their children. And that's just for one school. That's just Rathgormack National School. But of course, it's happening in other areas uh, as well. Um, if Evelyn couldn't drive, 
says uh, somebody in Mallow. What would happen then? Would the children all have to stay at home, which I suppose is a good point. Councillor Declan Hurley says, Patricia, in relation to the ongoing school transport debacle, we've requested Bus Aaron to attend our September Roads and Transportation uh, meeting at Cork County Council this week. I've received confirmation of the attendance of the Senior School Transport Manager for the South from Bus Aaron. And lo and behold, they cancelled the day before. We were hoping to get some answers for the many, many families affected by this, what is not fit for purpose service. The members are so annoyed and so frustrated with this issue year after year. How can it be? How can they fix this when the bus provider won't even engage with this? Uh, yours in complete frustration, says Councillor Declan Hurley. That is shocking. Uh, and, and I'm assuming you've gone back to see is there another date where they can join you? I mean, if they won't at least sit down and talk with you. And Evelyn, in fairness to Evelyn, Evelyn Murphy, she mentioned a local councillor has been trying to help them out. All of the councillors, I take it there isn't a councillor in certainly who represents any rural area that hasn't had some kind of contact from a family who is struggling because they can't get their child on the school bus. And you're right, it does happen every single year. But it seems, I'm open to correction, but it seems to get worse year on year. And that's probably got to do with population increase and people who can't afford now to buy houses in the city. Many are moving out into more rural areas where they can afford property. So there has been a population uh, increase. And of course, before somebody points out, uh, we have had people from other countries coming to live uh, here as well. So we, And we know from the last census that there has been a population explosion in this country. And the knock-on effect is there's more children will want school buses. And if that's the case, then put on more buses, uh, please. And then someone with a kind of a different angle on it said, years ago, my child was going to secondary school Um, and was on the school bus for about a year. And then just simply without any notice, the route was changed. So I ended up having to drive my daughter to school every day. Now, it turned out to be a great thing for my daughter because she admitted that she was actually being bullied on the bus, which I knew nothing about at the time. So for her, it was life changing. Um, And and I know that's a particular, that's a different story. But this problem with the school bus has been going on for years. Evelyn spoke very well, says this particular listener, she should be in uh, politics. And somebody else has suggested when they heard, and you couldn't help but feel sorry for Evelyn, her youngest was finally heading off to school this year. The youngest of her three boys hopping on the school bus and heading into junior infants. And then she was hoping, because she's been a stay-at-home mum while her children are at home, she was hoping to to do uh, a course. She was hoping to a counselling, I think was what she mentioned. And now suddenly she's stuck at home, dropping the children to school over and back 36 She's 36 miles a day she's doing. It's really, really crazy. So her life has to be put on hold again because her children are not on the school bus. Somebody has suggested, could Evelyn sign up for an online course? I've done two courses online and it's well worth her looking into it. That's a good suggestion. We'll pass that on to uh, Evelyn. Thank you for that. 0818 103 103. I mentioned fuel allowance because the fuel allowance is being uh, paid out and for lump, the lump sum payments gets paid out next week for people who opt to get their weekly instead of getting is it 33 euros a week some people prefer to get a lump sum payment because it means they can buy oil uh, for example and they introduced that uh, a number of years ago and someone was asking us if we could find out when it was going to be paid and it's the last week in September so we assume next week sometime it will be paid out that prompted somebody said Patricia I heard you speak about the fuel allowance I'm wondering is that fuel allowance for every household or is it just for people living on social welfare it should be for everyone or do the government expect 
the working population in this country to simply freeze. I work from home and I can tell you I'm wrapped up in a nightgown and a scarf at the moment uh, to save putting on the heating. So I'm putting on extra uh, layers. And uh, yeah, I'm just going down to the fuel uh, allowance. It, uh, I'm looking at it's it's people on different uh, welfares like the state pension, uh, widows and widows, disability, uh, blind pension, deserted wives, one parent family, guardian payment, pharmacist and job seekers transitional payment. So I can't see anyone. Uh, it's a working family on it. It doesn't seem to be. So, yeah, I, I feel your pain and I know what you I know what you're saying. It's that squeezed middle that we hear so often about people who go out to work every day and are paying everything. And if you're paying a mortgage at the same time, but even if you're not paying a mortgage, you might be paying high rents. And uh, some people feel. And then when I when I was talking about the budget and everything seems to be a lot of it seems to be aimed at social welfare. And that's not taking from people who live in social welfare, but it can be quite tiresome and quite difficult difficult and quite frustrating for families who are working every single day two people in the household going out to work and still struggling to survive 0818 103 103 and a couple of uh, shout outs uh, came in by text Patricia uh, a late reminder please of our talk tonight at Bearings School Hall it's on tonight at 8 presentation by well known Dunamore historian John O'Connell John will regale people with the unbelievable exploits of Johnny Healy Whiskey Peddler in the North Frontier he was even trading with Native American Indians it's a night not to be missed and that's on tonight it's been organised uh, by Inascara Historical Society thank you uh, Pat for that and then the court makes our Sherry Songs and Stories uh, which is going on this weekend on Saturday night the concert will now commence at half past eight instead of eight o'clock which had been previously advertised and thank you to Marion for that so if you're going to the court make Sherry Songs and Stories tomorrow night the concert has a, a, a slightly later start of half past eight C103 Jobs Mechanical electrical engineer is required for building services in Cork CVs to John Paul Construction Limited at gmail.com. Mobile tyre fitter fitters wanted in Mill Street is to provide call out and breakdown services. Please apply by text or WhatsApp to our calling 087 259 General operatives within a food environment are wanted to work in Ballyvorney. The number to call is 086 1769656. And a bus escort is wanted to cover sick leave starting on the 18th of October. Please apply in writing and mark your envelope bus escort position to the chairman of the board of management, Skull Isagon, Infant Schools, Spaglen in Mallow. Please note the appointment is subject to Garda vetting. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Now, according to agricultural correspondents, the biggest talking point at this week's National Ploughing Championships was the nitrates derogation reduction and the impact it is having and will have on farming over the next number of years. Cork South West Adult Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan is now calling on the EU Minister to visit Ireland. And uh, Christopher O'Sullivan joins me to explain more. Good morning to you, Christopher. 
Hey, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. I suppose just for uh, just from the outside, uh, for those outside of agriculture, can you just explain to people what the nitrous derogation reduction is all about and how it will impact on farmers? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked me that because we're hearing a lot about nitrates. We're hearing a lot about derogations. Um, obviously, any dairy farmer who's in derogation or anybody in the farming sector will understand what it is. But I think part of the difficulty that we have in trying to get the best results for farmers is that across the broader population, um, I suppose, who aren't directly involved in farming, there isn't a, um, a full understanding of derogation. So I'll try in the simplest way to okay. explain it. Um, obviously, we uh, join the EU. So um, within the EU, um, for, we're bound by EU uh, environmental rules. One of the environmental rules that was introduced um, many years ago was this uh, EU nitrates directive. So that was in a, an effort to clean up our water courses, clean up our waterways. Um, and as part of that directive, um, farmers, uh, um, whatever type of farmer was, was allowed a certain amount of organic nitrogen per hectare. So the EU decided many years ago that that amount would be 170 uh, kg per um, per hectare. Okay, Now that, that means a certain amount of cattle or a certain amount of slurry that's allowed to be spread um, essentially on land. Um, so because um, of the importance of the dairy sector to Ireland's economy, because Ireland has a, a, a very clean, sustainable, grass-based uh, dairy sector and, and, and farming techniques. Uh, certain countries such as, as Netherlands, um, parts of Belgium, uh, France, Italy uh, and Ireland, certain countries were given what's called a derogation. In other words, they weren't bound by that same 170 um, kg of organic nitrogen. So Ireland uh, was given um, 250. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Uh, kg uh, per per hectare. It means that we were allowed to essentially have more cattle per acre per hectare um, than any EU country that wasn't within the derogation. So I hope that kind of yeah yeah no, no they, you've, the, you've done that what, well what, yeah you've done what, you've done what, that really well. So then what has now been announced? So what's happened since is that right across Europe. Um, the, the the derogation was always supposed to be a temporary measure. It was, it was always there was always an intention to kind of uh, allow countries to adapt. So right right across Europe, countries have uh, lost their derogation. So for example, we've seen it um, in the Netherlands. We've seen those parts of Belgium have lost a derogation. Italy has lost a derogation. But 
Um, it, it must be remembered, uh, and this is important, this is why farmers are fighting really, really hard to keep that derogation, and Cork farmers in particular, we must remember that Cork has the most amount of, of uh, uh, derogation farmers. Um, in these countries, like uh, Netherlands, like Italy, like France, they didn't have that same green, sustainable, grass-based method of, of, of grazing cattle, which is far, far better. It leads to much, much um, better tasting produce, which anyone will attest to. I mean, some of the Irish products is, is, is top-selling products in, in, in the US. Um, so it made sense that Ireland would hang on uh, to that derogation. So what's happened uh, recently is that the EU Commission uh, essentially shot a warning shot to Ireland to say that, listen, if your um, uh, water quality in certain catchment areas doesn't improve, then we are going to um, reduce that, that that stocking rate, they call it. So um, in other words, they go from that 250 um, kg per uh, uh, hectare of organic nitrogen down to 220. Um, now that's... That the, it may sound to to um, kind of lay person or someone who's not involved in the, sec- in the sector as very little, but trust me, for especially smaller dairy farmers right across Cork in particular, right across Ireland, but particularly in Cork and, and West Cork, those smaller farmers who, you know, most of whom and most of the farmers that I'm meeting, most of the farmers that I met at the plowing championships. Um, they have less than 100 cattle. They may have 60 cattle. They may have 70 cattle. And it was a sector that enjoyed a, a, a couple of good years where, where, you know, one farmer put it to me uh, at one point a couple of years ago, they were so delighted with the check that they were getting from their creamery. They, you know, they never thought that they could get it. But now they've gone from that extreme to being told, potentially, they have to lose between 12 and 15 uh, cows. So if you're going from, we'll say, 65 cows down to 50 cows. It's a big it's loss. a big problem with this. It, it, it yeah, makes it it's, unsustainable. And they're, they're, and also, they're also, and I know we had some uh, texts in earlier on in the week about it. Is there is there an amount of uncertainty as to what the reduction will be by January of next year and what the stocking exactly. reduction will be? Exactly. That That's the clarification we're looking for. First of all, I want to outline my position very clearly. I, I'm with the, the, the derogation farmers here because we've heard from so many um, Chagas scientists and these are scientists who aren't affiliated to any lobby or any um, farmers. They're saying that the, the, the reduction in water quality by a blunt instrument like this would be so, so minimal and that the most effective way to reduce nitrates because there's already nitrates in the soil whether you have cattle on, on, on land or not there are already a high is there's a high um percentage of, of nitrogen nitrates within soil that the best way to do it is by soil management in other words ph levels and it gets a bit technical so i understand how, how people can ask about soil management but the most important uh, and efficient um method is is slurry spreading and an efficiency of slurry spreading stop spreading during the winter months and you know different techniques using those trailing shoes which which mean less um nitrates get into the water courses that is far far more effective and, and farmers have started to do that and we're starting to see results but you know the scientists in chagos are saying that listen this will this will cause this will this will achieve minimum improvement in water quality and we all want to see improvement in water quality there's absolutely no doubt about that from an environmental point of view biodiversity point of view and just a public health point of view but um this blunt instrument won't work so what's happened is the epa and this this comes to your question uh, in, in a long-winded way patricia the epa have uh, released a map we call it the red and white map that's what the the farming um farmers are calling it and this red and white map basically outlines the catchment areas in the red, these are the catchment areas that will be impacted by this new stocking rate. In other words, this reduction from 250 kg to 220 kg. Um, and then in the white, you have areas that um, are outside of those catchment areas that will be able to stay 
at that 250 kg, thankfully. Um, but it's so vague and there's very lack of detail. I mean, what we can say for sure, and I know your your West Cork geography is, is excellent, Patricia, is that we'll say the Ilan, uh, the the Island River, I should say, um, in uh, in Skibbereen, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in in the western part of the constituency, places like the Island River, um, Ardfield, uh, Barry Row, Seven Heads area, um, they're all in that white area, so they will be able to stay at that 250 uh, kg stocking rate. But there's there's the catchment areas of the Aragadine, right, which which kind of starts up around Dunmanway and, and heads into Tim League, and there's a catching area with the Bandon River, which is 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 you know one of the bigger rivers in Ireland. They're both in that red zone and in that reduction down to 220. Um, and you know, again, while my position is that I really feel that they should maintain the 250, the commissioner has has overruled any efforts to 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 maintain that 250 within those areas. So they're going to have to to drop to 220. But it's just there are farmers contacting me desperately trying to find out whether they're in that area or they're outside that area. So what I've called for um, uh, from the minister, from the EPA, um, from the commissioner to provide exact detail maps to the very um, townland, um, you know, exactly what areas are in or out of those derogations. So farmers know what they, they stand and, and they could plan. And they also need a lead in time. You know, it's very important to remember there are hundreds and thousands of female calves being born this autumn. What happens then? Where do they go if, if we're talking about a reduction in numbers? There's an animal welfare issue here as well. We'd be and looking that, at I a call. Really would, we, would, would we ultimately be looking at a call? If, if you, I can't, the maths don't work for me. If you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of female cows been born that are intended for the dairy sector, but a lot of these farmers, and, and, and here's the issue in, in Tipperary, in your own uh, lovely home county, farmers will have that option to export many of their, much of their slurry that, that they have stored to tillage because there's, there's a stronger tillage, I suppose, tradition of tillage up in that area. Here in West Cork, we have no tillage. There is no land. There is no other option uh, for for farmers to export slurry off their land. So that means that the the only option for those farmers within this red zone catchment area will be reduction in numbers. But if they have these farmers have invested, they've invested because of of government policy, because of European policy. They've invested in, in storage. They've invested in, um, in in farm machinery. They've invested in 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 their in in their um, herd. They're now being told that actually, you know, um, a lot of these female cows won't be now needed for the sector. So where do they go? There's an animal yeah. welfare issue here it, it, as well. It, it we does, need, it does seem need. very, very unfair in the farmers. And it's also uh, worth pointing out, Christopher, that farmers are trying to do the right thing. I mean, they're already heavily regulated. The, 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 uh, listen, you, you know from, from being on, on your radio show before that obviously the, the, I, I certainly have the best interests of, of the climate and the future of the planet at stake. But the rate of pace that climate action and climate measures are coming at farmers is, is extraordinary. I mean, other sectors will be able to adapt faster, like you know, transport, um, industry, energy. They'll be able to adapt a lot faster with renewables, etc., the rate of pace that the climate measures are coming to farmers make it much more difficult to adapt. But they are trying to adapt. There's 40,000 farmers have enrolled and signed up for this acre scheme. This is this new agri-environment scheme. There's an extraordinary interest in solar panels uh, among the farming sector. They they are up for this. They're up for this fight. But, you know, it, it's 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 a trying to do it without devastating, uh, you know, our indigenous fantastic industry that we have that we're world famous for and that's that's the call for the, the this lead at the time so look i'd echo the calls for for the the, the commissioner um 
to come to Ireland to see firsthand for himself. I want him to come down to what, Tim Malone. Yeah, what, what, what would you hope would be achieved by a visit? What, what, if, if you could get your hands on the, on the commissioner to come to West Cork, what would be your message? What would you show him? For, first of all, I would show, I would bring him to the likes of Carberry, to our co-ops, to our dairies, to, 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 to these fantastic industries who are, who are producing this um, stunning, uh, delicious product from our dairy sector to see how important it is. I bring him to, uh, the, the, you know, an example I always give in this is a, is a farmer I know well from the car area who has in and around 70 cows who would be forced, if he was within that red zone, which thankfully is not, would be forced to reduce his herd by, by 15 and they're making it unsustainable. You could eat your dinner of this farmer's yard. He's so tidy, so clean, does everything in exactly the right way. It's a one-person operation. Um, and that is the small family farm that we're always talking about protecting. I'd bring him there. And finally, I'd bring him down to the Timalee catchment area, where the Chagos have carried out 15 years of extraordinary scientific research, proving that these new measures, like reduction in, in, in um, the, the seasonal time for, for sorry spreading, the um, uh, spreading of protected uh, urea uh, these they're the, the using the trailing shoe instead of the splash plate that they're actually working they're working to improve the quality of the Timalee catchment area and to give us time to let those measures come into place instead of this blunt instrument which is going to take millions out of the economy it's it's going to unfortunately cost jobs in in, in those uh, fantastic like in our co-ops and in our dairies so it's it's just it's a shame it's come to this I, I would bring them down um, and, you know, we're hearing uh, that, that obviously Minister McConnell went to the commissioner, didn't um, it get the decision that was wanted in terms of a review of the derogation. Now we're hearing that the Taoiseach, apparently Leo Riker, is, 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 is reopening that discussion. If that's the case, then I really want to see um, Leo Riker come through for the farmers of Ireland, for the farmers okay. of West Cork. And okay, and, and, and in the meantime, I, I think I saw uh, you put out something that they, particularly to do with the clarity for parts of West uh, Cork, uh, the, the, uh, front for the new stocking rate, it, it's the end of this month, next week? The end of this month, the minister has met with the EPA. As I said, there's there's that map out there where you can clearly see the likes of the Island River and, and different areas outside it. But it's those catchment areas of the Arganine and the Bandon where farmers have they may have half their farm inside and half, half their farm. Yeah, outside. which is what crazy for them. Okay, that we'll wait to see what comes out. Come at the end of the week, and as, yeah. soon, as soon as it comes, I will I will share Ple- uh, with the greater public. Please do. Sure Please do. Okay, we leave it there, uh, Christopher. Thank you for that. Thank you. Bye and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is West Cork, uh, Fianna Fáil, Adol Deputy, Christopher o- O'Sullivan on an issue that is really, really contentious at the moment, the nitrates derogation at reduction. 0818 103 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. Ours to protect. Brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ours to protect.ie for more info. This week on Ours to Protect, we look at EB, Cork's first e-bike share scheme, and how it can provide an efficient, effective and environmentally friendly form of transport to people in Cork City, while assisting the drive to a sustainable way of living and working in a growing city. 
Patrick Sheehan is a bicycle enthusiast who previously worked in financial services and is also a qualified e-bike mechanic. I'm an account by qualification. I was working for the Central Bank for the last uh, seven years and I was seconded over to the Austrian Central Bank. This was just before the pandemic and while I was over there, I noticed they had a fantastic uh, public transport infrastructure. They have six underground lines and over 40 overground lines, uh, all electric as well. But at the same time, to, uh, to complement that, they had uh, a different micro mobility schemes, so e-bikes, bikes and scooters, you know, they were an integral part of that uh, infrastructure, even though they already had fantastic, you know, uh, main lines uh, within the city. And um, so I thought, you know, if if that works over in a city like Vienna, it would be incredibly, you know, it work incredibly well in a place like Cork. So I suppose that was the the, the spur of the, the idea. Uh, and then I suppose, like, I've, I take a big interest in sustainability as well and also uh, I'm a, a bicycle enthusiast as well so you know it kind of aligned uh, my my three areas of interest so again I suppose yeah as, a, as I was saying it kind of uh, incorporates the, the core values of the company which are you know sustainability number one uh, innovation number two and, and, and transport and I suppose the kind of objective of the of the company is to to try and aid the transition of the, a city into a, a more sustainable place for people um, working and living there, essentially, and and what offering people, uh, I suppose, e-bikes as a substitute for cars is is what the aim of the game is, essentially. Like, yeah, yeah. Weaknesses which were identified in Cork's local community and economic plan show a lack of alternative transport options compared to other cities, and people are too reliant on their cars. EB offers an alternative form of green transport, which does not require infrastructure investment. Well, I suppose last year they did local community and economic plan and, you know, they identified strengths and weaknesses of the city and two of those weaknesses uh, were, I suppose, related to public transport. There wasn't enough of it and over-reliance on personal cars. So again, immediately we can fit in to help that, you know, transport-wise. We can provide, you know, the, the people within the city and the city suburbs their mode of transport from A to B. Um, and at this, at the same time as well, you know, this is the aim of the game is to take people from their cars and onto bikes um, and also people that, you know, maybe use an overcrowded bus that doesn't, uh, you know, won't always arrive in time and stuff like that. I suppose that that study is, there was a study from UCC that was commissioned by the Climate Action Unit during the week, as you said, two thirds of people want a more sustainable city. But And it was analysed that one third of the city's emissions comes from road transport. So again, you know, that this is where cycling comes in and, you know, it can act as a substitute to create, a, you know, a more sustainable city, essentially, yeah. Cork City's first car-free day this Saturday has been welcomed by many as a step in the right direction. The survey for Cork City Council also shows the vast majority of people questioned want to see more pedestrianisation in the city. They also want more trees, nature, parks and biodiversity. Car-free day runs from midday Saturday until 6.30pm and we'll see the closure of Patrick Street, North Main Street, Corn Market Street, Castle Street and Adelaide Street to cars. Patrick says it's a small but positive and progressive step for Cork. Having a car-free city takes time. It's a hu- it's a big change for the merchants of Cork and the people that drive in and out, in and out of Cork every day. So I suppose small steps uh, is is the way forward. It's a, it's all it's also about I suppose educating of the potential of you know. A, um, a car-free city and showing the, the 
the benefits of what cycling, you know, I suppose, can, can do for the city. So one of the big, I suppose, one reason why a lot of people in Ireland in particular wouldn't cycle, you know, these small trips, you know, say between one and five kilometres, is it because of, the, because of the weather, essentially, because it's too wet. You don't want to be arriving in the office soaking wet or arriving at your, you know, manufacturing plant or whatever. I, I suppose it's a, it's about changing the, uh, people's understanding of of cycling and how, how the benefits can overall outweigh, I suppose, the, the negatives. Like Denmark has a very similar climate uh, to Ireland, yet there you uh, you know the percentage of the population that cycle in their cities is you know far more than it is in Cork. So it's definitely a realizable ambition, uh, you know, to become a city where cycling would be the primary form of you know transport for the shorter journeys. Um, so and I think that Saturday's no car day will give people, you know, an indication of what it could be like, you know, and see some of the benefits. Um, and overall, you know, there there are, there'll always be ne- negatives and positives from every any any kind of, I suppose, drive for change. But it's it's trying to understand what the net will be. Will there be a net positive, or will be there be a net negative? And as we can see all over, uh, like the world, really, there is a drive towards less car use and you know more uh, sustainable means of transport use uh, and we're seeing all over the world that the, there is a net gain for less cars on the road and more bikes essentially yeah. To learn more about EB visit eb.ie or check the show notes of this episode And we're stronger when together Ours to Protect brought to you by C103 the IBI and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee check out ours to protect.ie for more info a lot of commentary into us. Uh, let me take a look at some of your thoughts coming in. People listening to uh, Chris Rose Sullivan in the last hour was talking about the nitrates uh, derogation and the upset and the frustration and the worry that it's causing for the farming community. Heidi, just on a slightly different topic, but with reference to Christopher, had a question, but unfortunately Christopher was gone off the line before I saw it. Yeah, Heidi, my apologies. But uh, she said, uh, here you have Christopher on the show. I wonder, could you ask him if he thinks net zero is possible? I and many others think it's not, as we need carbon for plants when we need carbon for life on Earth. So it would, it would, life would not be possible without carbon, says uh, Heidi. So she always uh, thinks very strongly when they mention net zero. Well, I did a quick Google search as to what exactly net zero means. And net zero actually refers to the balance between the amount of greenhouse gases that's produced and the amount that's removed uh, from the atmosphere. So I don't think when we talk about net zero, uh, Heidi, that we are referencing that there would be absolutely no carbon at all because you're right, a plant and life itself uh, needs it. Thank you for your text. Hi Patricia, listening to Christopher O'Sullivan. This problem uh, has been caused again by government policy. In the past, farmers were told to expand herds. The farmers did that and they invested and now we'll look what is happening to them. And Micah says, listening to Christopher O'Sullivan, it's interesting that the government seems to be waking up to the reality of job losses within farming and the food production economy, which is the backbone of rural Ireland. Also, the fact that Frisian heifers will end up worthless, just like we saw this year. Remember with the Frisian bull calves, uh, when the boats weren't running, they were abandoned. They couldn't be given away in some of our marts. The animal welfare issue will be a nightmare. I also fear for the mental health of farmers and their families as a result of this decision. I really feel, though, it all goes back to the 
decision to double the nation's herd a number of years ago, which was a disaster in so many ways. Almost all the small dairy farmers now are gone. Now, the medium-sized ones, they're the ones that are going to be met, worst affected this time round. The big boys then will snap up any land that comes up and they'll have the resources to do it. This really is bad, bad news for rural communities. And that's my text from Michael. Thank you for that, Michael. 0818103103. And Kay in Churchtown was on to us. She has a problem with a, a blockage in her water supply. Now, it's at the manhole in her garden and she is on a water local scheme. She got on to Irish Water last Tuesday. Here we are Friday. Nobody's come to look at it. Now, we've... Um, got on to Irish Water to see if we can expedite it and get somebody, I mean, to have a blocked, uh, have a blockage in the manhole in your garden that needs to be sorted and needs to be sorted ASAP. So, okay, just to say we're on to Irish Water and hopefully uh, we'll hear something back or you'll hear something back and we'll get that issue uh, sorted for you. I mentioned fuel allowance because the, we're back into the fuel allowance season again and it'll run throughout the winter months into uh, early, uh, early or late spring is when it actually uh, stops and that led somebody to say, what about ordinary hardworking families? Why are they not included in fuel allowance? And I looked into the fuel allowance and who, who's eligible. It's mainly for people on uh, social welfare. Well, another listener says, yes, I agree that this fuel allowance in its current format really does need to be looked at. Some people really are struggling to try to heat their homes. And then you could have two pensioners whose family are lucky enough not to be living with them with a huge bank account, but they're assessed on the pension they're receiving and they get the fuel allowance. Well, you're kind of incorrect on that because to get a fuel allowance for, as with everyone, including pensioners, it is means tested. Now, if people are over the age of 70, it's a more generous uh, means testing, but they, they do look at what's in the bank and there has to be a limit on what they can have either in the bank or in investment. So it isn't just paid out to all old age pensioners. Only up to recently, a lot of people over the age of 70, uh, because they might have had a small and meagre enough private pension and that was pushed them over the limits, but they did change that uh, this year. Back to the protests in Dublin. Fimber says, Patricia, there is so much hate and divide in this country now, and it is due to government policies. I don't condone violence, and like what we saw and witnessed. Uh, last uh, Wednesday and I do see individuals on social media daily and they really are spreading hate. The world is a scary place now. What will it be like in another 10 years? People are hurting due to government policy and that's from Fimber. Yeah, and I would agree with you, uh, Fimber. I try to keep an eye on some of those individuals on social media and some of their conspiracy theories and the rubbish that they're spewing out and yet people believe every single word that what they're saying and they are spreading hate uh, and that's what I always get afraid of because you've got decent people who are hurting at the moment uh, who want to protest and want to have their voices heard but when you get a certain category who are that far left and the real extremists uh, when you've got people hurting and they feel that their government are not looking after them when they hear of these people with very extreme views they something can, can get sucked into it very genuine people can get sucked into that narrative of hatred and the viciousness and the vile nature of what was being shouted on Wednesday and that noose being brought yeah I, I agree with you 100% but you are right there is, a, there is a divide at the moment in this country and we need to do something about it Hi Patricia Pro- when I mentioned that we, we, I would hate to see the day that we wouldn't be able to go and protest outside Leinster House and I spoke about the other parliaments around the world, you know, 
people are not, members of the public are not allowed so close to the gates and I cite it at 10 Downing Street if you ever see any of the politicians speaking outside 10 Downing Street you'll hear in the distance protesters but they're nowhere near 10 Downing Street itself. Somebody by text says protesting at 10 Downing Street will be very different to protesting outside Dáil Éireann because remember at 10 Downing Street the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and his family live at number 10 with the Chancellor of the Exchequer and his family living next door at number 11. Nobody at the end of the day lives in Leinster House and currently we are all kept far from the entrance doors. I think it's worrying that based on one protest our right to protest outside the gates of Leinster House may be limited. Leo Varadkar said as much yesterday. If there is a protest and TDs feel uncomfortable why can't they use another door as surely there are other ways into Leinster House. In short the government should not attempt to limit our rights. It's a dangerous political route that at its extreme who we could end up living in a state like China or North Korea where protests are banned and we're very proud of the fact and in fairness to our TDs and ministers they always come out and say that that we do have we live in a democracy we do have a right uh, to uh, protest and I would hate to see the day that we wouldn't be allowed to do that. And you're right, at the very extreme end, we might as well all live under the rule of China or North Korea. Thank you for your uh, text with regard to the protest. This is another text with regard to the protest in Dublin on Wednesday. Remember the water charge protests about 10 years ago, which at times were also a disgrace. Remember Joan Bruton, TD at the time, was held hostage in her car for almost two hours. And Paul Murphy, who was a TD and is a TD for people before profit, he was one of the protesters as far as I wear. He was arrested. I don't know if it, yeah, was he arrested? I, I, yeah, and I do remember that particular uh, protest. Our politicians were not, uh, this is another text, our politicians were not elected to make second class citizens out of us in our own country and that is what they have done uh, in that they the system feels they're given preferential uh, treatment uh, to people who come from outside countries, people who come from Ukraine and uh, refugees who come from other countries. They need to be held accountable and even the media is quite on this and the protest at Leinster House which of course was uh, a disgrace. They should have gone and protested, aired their views and they should have behaved. 0818 and then on a completely separate topic, Sandra in West Cork was reading in the paper about somebody working in a nursing home who said that this person takes care of the patient's money and if they pass away, takes care of their accounts. Now, Sandra is a former banker and she said that the only monies that can be paid out from a deceased person's account until obviously the will takes place are funeral bills, utility bills and perhaps something like house insurance. Uh, She read recently an article in one of the Sunday papers, this was a few years ago, where some residents were being charged over the odds for services in nursing homes. She wants to point out that no one other than a family member should have access to the account of of a loved one who was living in a nursing home so she was quite taken aback by the article and that has led me nicely into nursing homes because I saw a piece and a quote from that wonderful organisation Care Champions who fight on behalf of people in nursing homes and their families. They're saying that the families of nursing home residents who died during the pandemic are now starting to feel cautiously optimistic after finally being heard. It's emerged up to 30 
nursing homes could be facing criminal charges into their care. Now, we do know a Garda probe of the care received by one resident here in Cork at a nursing home. Now, obviously, because this is before the guard the, with the Gardaí at the moment, so we're not naming any nursing home or anything like that at this stage. But it is a test case for families and the Care Choice Advocacy uh, Group are very much welcoming that. Now, the Irish Times this week had reported that pending the outcome of that one individual probe, from that, up to 30 other nursing homes could face investigation into the care of residents. And this would have been during the most serious phases of the pandemic. Care Champions spent much of yesterday consulting with families and Magella Beatty, who we've often uh, spoke with as quoted as the papers, is saying many of those families now are starting to feel cautiously optimistic. She said so far they have been met with stonewalling, they've been met with delays and many of these families feel they are being completely ignored. But she said now that the Gardaí are investigating this test case, there is great hope. People are finally being acknowledged and finally being listened to. And people, I think, just want to find out what happened to their loved ones. Loved ones. Magella said, we, all, we are all going to grow old. And we are entitled to our dignity and our human rights. She said the families are comforted by the fact that their loved ones will not have died in vain if it does lead to changes in how we care for our elderly and in safeguarding procedures. Now, the families will be going to the Dáil at the end of October, where they're hoping to be recognised for their efforts. Um, Magella Beatty said we've always been a very dignified group. All that we want is the truth and to have some closure to what has been a very, very traumatic time for families. And according to the Gardaí, at the moment, this isn't a nationwide overarching investigation relating to deaths during the pandemic uh, for which statistics can be provided. The Garda spokesman said investigations into the deaths in residential homes are investigated on a case-by-case basis and obviously they're done to determine the exact cause of death and then that would go on to assist the local coroner. Now, the Garda say where evidence of criminality is disclosed. It's then and only then files will be prepared for the Director of Public Prosecutions. And of course we all will well remember that a third of all of the deaths in the first two years of the COVID-19 pandemic were sadly in uh, nursing homes. Now as well as the criminal investigation there are also a number of civil cases but they're individually being taken by families. They're either being taken against uh, the HSE or uh, by private nursing homes. And actually just on private nursing homes uh, Nursing Homes um, Ireland. They held their annual conference yesterday and we are hoping to speak with Tyg Daly on the programme on Monday about nursing homes. But just on this issue of the Gardaí looking into one case and could that lead to more uh, cases? I did see Tyg Daly speaking at the at their annual meeting yesterday, uh, warning that scapegoating the sector, uh, he's fearful that the, the that the sector is going to be uh, scapegoated uh, because of some of the deaths that happened due to COVID-19 at the nursing homes. He said nobody knew uh, what was coming at the beginning of the pandemic and he says the sector felt that they were very much forgotten about so it would be good to get to the, I think for the families though, who lost a loved one in a nursing home and God knows over the years we've we've since the pandemic we've spoken with some of the families and some of their stories were just absolutely uh, heartbreaking listening to people watching a loved one die through a window or uh, getting to the nursing home to discover that their loved one had already died or 
uh, hearing somebody die while a phone was up to their loved one's ear or doing it on a FaceTime or a Zoom call. It was just truly, truly uh, shocking. And for some families, they felt that the level of care of their beloved parents, grandparents, sibling, whatever it was, that they didn't get the proper care. And if that is the case, then yeah, we have to get to the bottom of it. So we'll, we'll watch with great interest what comes out of this particular, this first investigation, as I say, it is a nursing home uh, here in Cork. But just at this stage, there's no further details on it. 0818103103. Our lines are open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Bingo is on a Mallow GAA complex tonight. 8.15, jackpot €6,200. It's in 49 calls. Lucky number game, €640. And as always, funds raised from the bingo go directly into the running of the Mado GAA uh, Club. There will be a coffee evening this evening in aid of Marymount Hospice from 8pm to 10pm and it's in Bally Daly Hall. St George's Art and Heritage Centre. Delighted to welcome the While Aways. That's for Culture Night tonight at uh, 8. Tickets are from Eventbrite or at local outlets. Reedy's Kitchen Market, The Favourite and from Roach's Store. And as part of Culture Night tonight, a pop-up Gwail Talk will be held at the Cafe on the Lane in Spillers Lane in Clonakilty between 7 and 8. On the night, the whole of Spillers Lane area will be busy as the Clonakilty Coaches group, including a number of All Ireland champions from the recent flag, Hewl and Mullingar, will be there to entertain the people. And the Old Town Fair Commission encouraging people to dress up, please, in period costume. And Donnerail Culture Night this evening between 6 and 9 pm. It's in Donnerail Presentation Pastoral Centre. They're hosting Art is Everything to Celebrate, the talents of members of the Art and Crafts Group from Donnerail Active Retirement Group and the Donnerail Push for Charity Association. There'll be an array of crafts on display from knitting to crochet, glass, painting, wood turning, painting and paintings. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Can you talk to me? Cork today on C103. Now, as we've been mentioning all week, tonight is Cultural Night and no matter where you are across Cork City or County, I guarantee you there's a free event on in your area. So please go out and uh, take part and support the many, many events uh, taking place. And one event now we're going to chat about is a poetry as a commemoration. It's creative writing workshop which will run at the Moy Library between 5 and 7 uh, this evening and it is free to the public and to preview the event I'm joined by uh, David McLaughlin. Good, good afternoon to you David. Hi Patricia, thanks you, for having me on. You're, you're very welcome. Now this is a UCD initiative I suppose start at the beginning and explain to us what is poetry as commemoration. Okay, well it's basically yeah it's run through UCD Library and it's with the decade of centenaries uh, celebration and it's just important to note that it's supported by the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Sports, Gale Talks and the Media. So basically what it does is it uses poetry and archives to like explore uh, challenging aspects of our history. And it really is running from around World War One up through the War of Independence and into the Civil War. And you've been running yeah. a, a series of workshops similar to what you're going to be doing in, in, in Fromoy this evening. Is, is that what you've been doing? That's right. There's, there's a lot of poets across the country in the Republic and in Northern Ireland who've been running workshops since uh, 2022, around 90 workshops. But that, so that's, that's just one of the initiatives that Poetry as Commemoration does. The others are 
you know, they partner with uh, the Arts Council of Northern Ireland and Poetry Ireland, and they've commissioned poems, new poems by established poets like uh, Martina Evans, Paul Muldoon, Sean Hewitt. And those are, you can, um, you can look at those on their website, Poetry as Commemoration. There's also this really exciting uh, jukebox that's going around the country. It's called the Poetry Jukebox. And so they set, they've set them up in different parts of the country. At the moment, there's two, one in Galway, one in Derry. And they look like blue periscopes. They're basically sound installations that play po poems by many different poets um, from this, you know, writing about this era, basically. Oh, but great if we could get that yeah. jukebox down to Cork, David. Now, tell there me... There was one, actually. Sorry, was there was there? one in, uh, in Cork, actually, yeah. Oh, was there? Okay, we missed out <laughs> yeah, on that, yeah. unfortunately. Now, for yeah. people in Formoy and the surrounding areas, an opportunity to get involved uh, this evening. Tell me yeah. about the workshop and, and the format of it. Okay, so basically, yeah, um, it starts off with us looking at photographs from the era and some documents, and that's just to get the kind of uh, creative juices flowing. And that would probably be the first, the first hour of the workshop. And then the second hour would be, you know, getting, you know, writing our own poems based on that material. And if people have like family stories uh, about the War of Independence or about that era, they can definitely bring those in and write about those. Um, so and do, it, I'm, I'm thinking straight away. Do you need to have experience of writing poetry? Um, no, not at all. Like it's um, we have all types of experience levels. So yeah, don't be intimidated. You don't need experience at all, and you don't even have to write in a poetic like in stanzas or poetic form. You can write in prose if you prefer. And at the end of it, basically, uh, people can send their poems to the Poetry as Commemoration Archive in UCD, and they're kind of they. And they're do it's a wonderful venture and they're being preserved for future generations as part of the archive, the poems that yeah, people write. And there's something really nice about remembering, particularly a family member. Mm -hmm. Isn't there yeah. something lovely uh, about remembering them through poetry? Yeah, it's fantastic because, um, like, I, in my own experience, I've been working with children in secondary schools, but also adults in libraries around Munster. And so it's basically like what we're seeing emerging is kind of like a more nuanced look at Irish history. So it's not just black and white. And, you know, I'll just give you a, a taster for what we've, this kind of stories like, you know, people are opening up about uh, grandparents or great grandparents who were World War One veterans coming back and, you know, kind of alienated and shunned by, you know, by the, the culture or RIC men who are married to women who supported the IRA. Just the other day, I had a girl in a class who, secondary school student who wrote or who told us a story of her great grandmother looking down on the hills from the hills of Cork. And just seeing Cork burning, you know, the, during the wow. burning of Cork. So, yes, it's fantastic because if we don't remember those stories, they'll be lost, you know. So. And, and the woman whose house was burned down by the Black and Tans and she pulled her piano out, of the, out onto the lawn and start, started playing yeah. it. That was a fantastic poem by a Tipperary poet called Annette Condon, who was in one of my classes. Yeah, I don't know if she was Anglo-Irish, but she, there was, I think she was upper class. I mean, you know, it's just part of the nuance of the story. She, yeah, they burnt down her house because she was uh, a patriot and she pulled the piano out. She played God Save Ireland and then she served them some sandwiches. So <laughs> they're a woman of great courage, you know. I'm from Tipperary, honest to God, David, that could only happen in, in, in Tipperary. Um, I, I really do. I, 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 lo I, I love this idea. And I also, because families have stories that they heard from either a grandparent, uh, you know, a, a story that's only within the family. And they can be lost mm -hmm. if we don't either put them down on paper or in this case, put them down, put them down in poetry. 
Yeah, we don't often realize what we've got, but there's a huge wealth of, of stories out there, definitely. Now, your own grandfather, anyone into golf and may be aware of your own grandfather, uh, he was Eddie Hackett. Tell me about Eddie Hackett. Well, like he, you know, he was, uh, his dad was from Tipperary and they lived in Dublin, but he was, um, he went on to design and redesign, work on a, more than around 100 golf courses around the country. He's considered the, the father of Irish golf design. But so he was at that bloody Sunday, you know, in Croke Park, in 1920, I think it was, or 21, uh, with his father. And uh, he was, some people helped them escape over the wall. Uh, you know, before it was a huge stadium, there were, you know, just large walls around. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I wrote a poem about that. Just Which, I'm, which I'm, go- I'm going to get you to read in a moment. But did you, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. did you grow up listening to that story uh, um, about what had happened to your grandfather? It, yeah, I heard it a few times. Like he, it was probably a bit painful for him. So he, he didn't tell me it all the time, but he would tell me some, I would listen, ask him for it sometimes. And he would tell me, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So then, so this is a, this is an example of what people can do. If they have a little story about some member of their family from that era, you, you put a poem together about what happened yeah. to your grandfather at Croke Park on Bloody Sunday. And you're going to do it. You're going, right. to read, you're going to read it to us. Of course, yeah. Please do. So I'd, I'd seen, I saw the Michael Collins film where this, what looks like a tank, comes onto the pitch. So then I was kind of saying to myself, I don't remember that in my grandfather's story. So that's where it starts. Okay. No mention, no mention of an antiquated tank on the pitch. Was that the film version or the shots themselves? Only that strangers helped you and your dad scramble up. Men lofting you by the hips and backside. You paused for a second up there. All along the wall, people were dropping into back gardens. We landed beside a man. There was a bullet in his leg, the mother and daughter of the house bandaging him. See how it lends itself to cinema, trauma and homeliness, tearjerkery of community, converging in the moments after. They rushed you through the lean-to glass house, into the scullery, past the pictures of saints in the hall, out onto the street. A frieze of bayonets and World War I helmets marching at the canal end. Your dad took your hand as you joined the crowd walking in the opposite direction. All along the street, people were exiting front doors. That's fantastic. Well done. Well done. And you've painted, I can see it in my head, you've painted a great picture. Uh, Your your grandfather uh, would have been very proud of it. Okay, so um, so tonight, do people need to book, or this evening, it's five until seven for more library. That's right. Do people need to book in advance, David? Yeah, we have a capacity of 12 people for the workshop. And okay. Uh, they need to register via eventbrite.ie. They can search for Moy Poetry as Commemoration. But if they can't, if it's full for any reason, there are two more events next week. Or the, sorry, there's one event next week and then one the following week. And they can look that up again on uh, Eventbrite. Okay. Listen, good luck with yeah. it. It's, uh, it's, it's a really interesting uh, topic and good luck with poetry uh, as commemoration. And thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, good thank afternoon you so to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, David McLaughlin there of that UCD Library uh, Initiative, um, all part of a decade of centenaries. If you want to go along uh, tonight for more library between five and seven. 0818 103 103. Bernie continues to take your call. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103.
Cork Today on C103. And Mark Malone joins me to talk movies. Good afternoon, Mark. Hi, Patricia. Now, first movie is an Agatha Christie story, A Haunting in Venice. And the second one is You Are Not Invited. OK, let's take a quick trailer from A Haunting in Venice. Detective, you are here to discredit me, but I can talk to the dead. Somebody has been murdered. I want you to leave this place until I know who did it. Admit that you are up against something bigger than you. There must be a rational answer for all of this. You were saying? I can't say that this is an Agatha Christie story. I think I know. Uh, no, because it's uh, it's based on uh, a novel from 1969 that she wrote called Halloween Party. Ah. Uh, so that you might know, that's the, the book you might have read. So this is uh, kind of inspired by that. It's kind of rewritten and based on that story that uh, she wrote. It's interesting listening to the uh, trailer there. It sounds scary, doesn't it? It does, it sounds really yeah. Frightening. yeah. And what's interesting is I remember when I first saw the trailer months back in the cinema, and I can't remember what I was watching, but there was a lot of young people in the cinema, So and they obviously had never seen the previous movies and didn't know who her, her Poirot was and it was interesting because their kind of interest was kind of peaked when they thought oh th- this is going to be interesting this is going to be um, you know uh, a horror movie this could be interesting and a kind of a film for us and <laughs> I always remember Kenneth Branagh appeared with his magic moustache. Now you've seen the moustache, yeah, and yeah. The whole cinema just burst out laughing because they had they had never seen it before. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, you know if those kids do go along to see the film, and uh, you know I hope they do because they should uh, you know see these films because yeah. you know with the um, Knives Out with it was it was a huge success, and a lot of young people went along to see that because you know the, um, they thought well, this is kind of interesting, and of course this is the third one uh, that Branagh has made as Urquil Poirot. Uh, uh, he did the Orient Express, which I like very, very much indeed. Yeah, of the three, that. I think that's probably the best one. I don't know if you saw the second one, Death on the Nile. Mm, don't know. Yeah, that no. wasn't uh, for me. I, I could I found it very, very difficult to warm to it because you know if you compare it, say, back to the old one that they made back in the eighties with uh, Peter, that would have been the one. Yeah, yeah that would have like been the that, one I seen. Yeah, that would have been huge star-studded kind of movies, and of course they would have filmed on the Nile. They would have filmed that was uh, on a great location. movie. It, well, Peter Ustinov was a terrific actor, and you know that was filmed on location, whereas um, you know Branagh's. Uh, uh, Death and the Nile wasn't. They filmed it in a studio in England. So I always got the impression that it was just a little bit too stagey uh, for its own good and it just all looked false to me. Uh, this is even smaller. This is even tinier, this film. And if you look at the poster and if you listen to the um, uh, and listen to the trailer, you would think that this is kind of a horror film. Uh, very but, dark. Yeah. Uh, very much so, yeah. Both, uh, both the physical look of the film and the emotional kind of darkness of the film, I mean, they both connect uh, in the film. Uh, now, Branagh has said, look, it's it's not really a horror film at all, even though it's been kind of portrayed that way. I'm sure the, the movie company must have thought, well, how do we promote this and who do we promote it to? So they decided, well, look, with the trailer and with the poster, we might be able to attract a horror audience. But Branagh has said, look, it's not a horror film at all. It's kind of more of a kind of a, a supernatural kind of thriller. Uh, so this film is kind of based 10 years after the death of the Nile. It's a couple of years after the war. It's finished around 47. Uh, and he's living uh, in, um, um, in Venice and uh, he has decided to retire. He is no longer uh, the great uh, detective because he just wants to tend to his marrows. 
As you do. As you do. And so when we first meet him, that's what he does. The problem is, of course, is that uh, there are an awful lot of people out there who want their mysteries solved. So every time he leaves his house, there's a line of people on the street running after him going, please solve my mystery. Uh, So he has to have a bodyguard uh, who looks after him. And one day his bodyguard comes to him and says, look, uh, there's uh, a friend of yours at the front door. And Poirot says, but I don't have any friends. What are you talking about? Uh, It turns out to be uh, Tina uh, Fey, who uh, plays this character of uh, this writer, this very, very famous writer in the United States. And she tells him that uh, in Venice, uh, there's this medium uh, played by Michelle Yeoh, uh, who seems extraordinary. And she seems to be able to talk to the dead. Uh, Of course, because of uh, Poirot's extraordinary brain, he says, well, that's nonsense. Uh, You know what I mean? I don't believe in any of that stuff. You know I don't. So uh, she says, look, there's going to be a seance. Michelle Yeoh will be there as this Mrs. Reynolds. So come along and see what you think. And so from then on, when he gets to the seance and meets the people involved, that's when the murder mystery then begins, because, of course, it's Agatha Christie. Uh, I'm not going to kind of go on yeah, and give yeah, you too yeah. much detail from... Uh, I'm, all, I'm already in. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that whole seance sequence is really, really quite extraordinary. And Michelle Yeoh is probably the best of the kind of subcast uh, in this film. She really is extraordinary in that uh, sequence. The thing about the film is that what it decides to do, as I say, Bernard wants to make it a kind of a supernatural thriller. And um, But it's not scary enough, and that's the thing. And a lot of the thrills are, you know, a lot of jump scares that they've used in uh, cinema before. And I'm not really, really quite sure that that really kind of worked. What I thought was really good, though, was the way in which the events of the film do uh, kind of um, allow him to kind of look at his intelligence and look at uh, the, the, the events of what's happening there. And, of course, is it real? Is it not? And he begins to question his intelligence. He begins to question his own, uh, you know, um, views on anti-religion. And I thought that was very, very, very interesting. The film is almost in complete darkness. There's an awful lot of uh, close-ups of faces under candles. But throughout the film, I mean, you, you really do think that uh, because it's Agatha Christie, it's going to be loads of kind of red herrings. And, kind of, yeah. and so all the time you're looking for clues and all the time Branagh keeps you know cutting away to kind of clocks and and uh, a close up of of kind of statues there's a parrot who keeps appearing uh, throughout the whole film and of course you spend the whole film going okay what does that mean yeah, yeah. what exactly is he yeah. trying to tell us he's not trying to tell us anything oh, no. he's just trying to be clever for his own for his own good which is a bit of a shame um but yeah and I, I found even though it's only an hour and a half long and I applaud him for that I found it very very difficult to um, to really get emotionally involved in it because I think the characters are really, really underdeveloped. You don't really care about any of them and you don't really get to know them. And uh, he seems to be more interested in how the film looks uh, rather than... Oh, that's uh, a pity. Because, yeah, and a film like this where it's so small and so uh, kind of tightly packed, you do need extraordinary actors, you do need an extraordinary script to kind of keep uh, the, the story running and your interest in it. And for me, it kind of didn't. But there was always something interesting happening on screen. And, um, you know, Kenneth Branagh and his magic moustache, I mean, you know... For nothing that, else, go along That's that. always ver- uh, worth watching. So it's an interesting film it's very different and I applaud him for that but I'm not really sure it worked OK A, a Haunting in Venice Market out of 10 I give it 6 6 out of 10 OK your second movie is You're Not Invited You're Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah Now you've heard of oh, the Bat Mitzvah see, it's, it's, it's written down in front of me You're Not mm-hmm. Invited I thought it was by 
Somebody called. My <laughs> no. Uh, Unless you get that joke to Bernie. Okay. <laughs> so you're not invited to my bat mitzvah. Yeah. As we, in bar mitzvah. Yeah. It's a spin on that. Okay. Yeah. This, well, this is the kind of female equivalent, uh, I think. Um, now, I could be wrong there, but I think bar mitzvah is a young boy's transition boys, yeah, from boy in, to yeah, um, the Jewish adult. religion. Yeah. Exactly. And here's the female version. Which there, I think is there such a thing? I think it is. Yeah, oh, I think it okay. is. Um, now I could be wrong. Maybe somebody will correct me, but I think that's the, the that's the case. A bat mitzvah. A bat mitzvah. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Um, so this is Adam Sandler, and um, you know he's obviously had a, a deal with Netflix now for quite some time. So he just keeps producing all of these movies for Netflix. Not all of them are very very good, but some of them are terrific. Uh, Uncut Gems, for example, was a very very good example uh, of uh, of one of those that that really really works. And there's an awful lot of talk in, in the, the thing about um, Adam Sandler down throughout the years in his career. He's always uh, you, you know, had a lot of friends with him uh, on screen, and he tends to use a lot of the same actors. And there's an awful lot of talk too about um, Nepo babies. You've heard about Nepo yeah, babies, yeah. And um, well, this is a perfect example of that. And initially, when it was announced that in this film he was not only going to have his two daughters in the film alongside oh, him, on. but his wife was also in the film as well. Um, but thankfully, that whole thing has been dispelled. And the reason is, is his daughters are absolutely terrific in this movie. Oh, OK. They really are, especially the younger daughter. Initially, I found it very, very difficult because even though there's a couple of years between the two of them, they look very, very similar. And I used to, I, for the first kind of half an hour of the film, I was getting confused. I didn't know, I didn't know which yeah. was which. Uh, the younger, the, his younger daughter is Sonny Sandler. And she is the star of this movie. And she is really, really good in it. So the whole Nepo Babies thing, I'm sorry. You know, uh, I, you know we can uh, dismiss that, I think. A film. The film is really about kind of teenage angst and the difficulties that young teenage girls go through. And um, we've seen a lot of this before. It's really, really quite familiar. You know, if you've seen kind of things like Mean Girls or even the films of um, of uh, John Hughes, for example. But John Hughes, I think, would have had a very much different kind of male kind of um, kind of viewpoint on this. Whereas this is directed by a woman by the name of Sammy Cohen, who made a film called Crush uh, last year, which was also uh, about uh, the difficulty and um, the things that young women and go through uh, so she has history there uh, it's written by Alison Peck and Fiona Rosenblum uh, who wrote uh, the initial book and you get the impression that they too are, are kind of referencing their difficulties as a young woman and this film doesn't shy away from all of that and oh. uh, talks about all of that uh, but there are some very very good jokes there's one very very good joke where somebody goes up to a Jewish band leader and says uh, why did you call your band Exodus and he said well, well Genesis was taken which I thought was a great <laughs> joke and there are, lo- there are jokes as good as that throughout the whole film okay. you know what I mean okay. and so keep a listen now for that so they I certainly enjoyed um, look it's familiar but it's a very very nice coming of age story which doesn't in any way shape or form try and kind of um, kind of gloss over uh, you know uh, the realities of what it's like to be 13 and a young girl and what she's going through both physically and uh, and mentally and the film is about the importance of family and certainly the importance of female friendship Okay and you are right the bat mitzvah is the female equivalent of the bar mitzvah for, uh, for the girls. Okay, I mark it out of 10? I'll give it 8. 8 out of 10 and it is you are not invited uh, by my bar mitzvah. Okay, listen, um, uh, thank you for that. Um, have a lovely week and we'll chat to you again next uh, Friday. That is Mark Malone, our movie review. Well, that's where I leave you for today and indeed for this week. Thanks to Bernie Murphy sitting in for John Paul and we'll be back with you on Monday morning at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messer. Enjoy the rest of your Friday and have a lovely weekend. 